Well, if we could this evening, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, the Gospel according to John, John chapter 17. And uh, as you know, this chapter is full. It's a full chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. There are so many things you could bring out of it. But I want us to take four things out of it this evening. So if we just read again at the beginning. John 17 and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I want to begin this evening by asking the question, what is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? You know, this is a question I don't, I don't think about often enough. And maybe you're the same. What is Jesus doing right now? You know, when we consider the Old Testament, and even when we look at a passage or, or listen to a passage being preached, preached upon, we often come to the Old Testament and we think about what Jesus promised to do. We see that Jesus in the Old Testament, he was the promised prophet. He was the seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus was the promised priest who would act as the suffering servant, who would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Jesus was the promised king, the king who would establish his kingdom and his rule in this world. When we consider the Old Testament, we think about what Jesus promised to do in the future. And then when we consider the New Testament, whenever we're considering what's written in the New Testament or sitting under a sermon about the New Testament, we often think about what Jesus did because we think about Jesus' birth or his baptism or his life and his ministry. We think about his miracles where he healed the sick or he fed 5,000 or he calmed storms or he raised the dead. And we also think about why Jesus came. He came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We know that Jesus came to forgive our sins by dying on the cross, being condemned in our place. Jesus, as we know, he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus did. But you know, my friend, when we think of Jesus, we often think about what he promised to be. We often think about what Jesus did in the past. But the question I want us to think about this evening is, what is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? Because as we all know, the cross wasn't the end of the story. Jesus was laid in a borrowed grave. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. And the angels proclaimed about him. He is not here, for he is risen. Jesus has risen. He's ascended up on high, leading the captives free. And now he's seated at the right hand of his father. The Bible reminds us so clearly that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame, and he's now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But what is Jesus doing there? What is Jesus doing tonight at the right hand of the throne 
of God. What is Jesus doing right now? Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is praying for you right now. Our great high priest who offered himself as a sacrifice at Calvary, he now offers his supplication in heaven. But what is Jesus praying about? Well, I want to suggest to you this evening that even though this high priestly prayer of John 17, even though it was prayed on earth, I believe that it's a prayer that's still been spoken in heaven. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for you. And he's praying for things. He's praying for your salvation. He's praying for your safety. He's praying for your sanctification. And he's praying for your security. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for your salvation. He's praying for your safety. He's praying for your sanctification. And he's praying for your security. So we'll look at these four things. First of all, what is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for your salvation. That's what we're told. If we look again at verse 1. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. These words, they were first spoken in the Garden of Gethsemane, only hours before Jesus would be crucified on a Roman cross. And when these words were first uttered from the lips of Jesus... They were uttered with such intensity that we're told he sweated great drops of blood. Because, you know, these words, they're words of intercession. My friend, Jesus is praying for you. And I say that he's praying for you personally because Jesus deals with us. He deals with us all personally. He deals with us individually. He deals with us personally. And I want you to see that this evening. That when Jesus is praying, he's praying for you personally. Because the thing is, he's a personal saviour. He deals with us personally. And he prays for us personally. Because he is your great high priest. He's your great high priest. That's why John 17 has often been regarded as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Because Jesus is praying for you as your great high priest and you know it's it's always such a comfort and even a great encouragement to be told by someone that they're praying for you isn't it it's always an encouragement when somebody comes to you and says well you've been on my mind you've been in my heart and you've been in my prayers and it's wonderful to know that you're being brought before the lord in prayer and well i should make the point by saying that if if you have someone on your heart and on your mind and you're praying for them, tell them. It's not wrong to tell them that. Let them know that you're praying for them. Because there's no greater encouragement when you're at your lowest and when you're at your weakest and when you're at your most vulnerable. There's no greater encouragement than to know that someone is praying for you. That they are bringing you to the Lord in prayer. But you know what's so beautiful about this chapter? is that you're being reminded personally that Jesus is praying for you. 
Jesus is praying for you. It's one thing to know that people around you are praying for you. It's another thing completely to know that Jesus in heaven is praying for you tonight. Because those around you, they might not know what's going on in your life. They don't know what you're facing. They don't know what you're going through. They don't know what you're thinking. They don't know what's going on in your heart or in your circumstances. They don't know what you're going through. And yet, Jesus does. Oh, Jesus does. And he's praying for you. And you know, the first thing Jesus prays for here is your salvation. The first thing he prays for is your salvation. That's Jesus' priority. His priority when he prays for you is your salvation. So my unconverted friends sitting here this evening, Jesus' priority is your salvation. Because Jesus, believe it or not, he wants you to be saved. He wants you to be saved. He's not willing, says the Bible, that any should perish. But that all would come to repentance. And tonight, Jesus is praying for your salvation. Jesus is praying that you would loosen your grip on the world and commit your life to him. Jesus is praying that you would come and take up your cross and follow after him. Jesus is praying that you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Jesus is praying for your salvation. Why? Because your salvation will glorify him. When you're saved, he will get all the glory. That's what Jesus prays about. He says, glorify your son. That the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. My friend, what glorifies Jesus most? What glorifies Jesus most? Sinners being saved through his sacrifice. That's what glorifies Jesus the most. Sinners being saved. That's what brings Jesus glory. Your salvation brings Jesus glory. That's why he's praying for your salvation. But you know my unconverted friend. I wonder. Do you pray for your salvation? Do you earnestly pray. For your salvation? Do you sincerely pray. For your own salvation? Do you ask the Lord to forgive you and save you and cleanse you and wash you and make you his? Do you pray for your own salvation? Because when Jesus prayed for your salvation, he prayed fervently, he prayed earnestly, and he prayed sincerely. But do you pray fervently for your salvation? Do you pray earnestly, asking the Lord to save you? Do you pray sincerely, pleading with the Lord, having to have mercy upon you? Because that's what Jesus is doing. Of course, just because Jesus is praying for your salvation doesn't mean that you don't have to. No, you have to fervently, earnestly, sincerely and wholeheartedly pray for your salvation. But you know, I love what the writer to the Hebrews says about Jesus as our great high priest. The writer to the Hebrews, he emphasizes again and again in his letter that Jesus is our great high priest. And we're told in the letter to the Hebrews that Jesus is the high priest who's seated at the right hand of the throne of of majesty in heaven. And in the writer to the Hebrews, he says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, he says, 
let us hold fast to our confession. Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, therefore we're told, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may receive first of all mercy. But then grace to help in time of need. You know, my unconverted friend, it's because Jesus is in heaven praying for your salvation that you're invited to come with boldness to his throne and receive mercy and grace. And because you're invited to come, the writer to the Hebrews, he actually assures you of this wonderful promise that Jesus is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus will reward those who fervently, earnestly, sincerely and wholeheartedly seek him. And the beauty of salvation is that no one is out of his reach. Because he is able, as the writer to the Hebrews says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And why is he able to do all this? Why is he able to save to the uttermost? Why is he a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Because as the writer to the Hebrews says, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. My friend, Jesus ever lives to be your great high priest and to pray for your salvation. And tonight Jesus is praying for your salvation. But you also need to pray for your salvation. And if you haven't started, then start now. Start now. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for your salvation. But then secondly, we see that Jesus is praying for your safety. He's praying for your safety. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is praying for your safety. As we've said before, it's often been said that the first step after being saved is being kept. The first step after being saved is being kept. And that's what we see here, that the first prayer of Jesus after you're saved is that you're kept. Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Jesus is praying for your safety. He's praying that you would be kept. And you know, it's wonderful to know and be assured that Jesus is praying for your salvation. But you know, it's amazing to know that when you're saved, Jesus is praying every moment. He's praying for your safety. He's praying that you will be kept. And you know, my unconverted friend, can I say that sometimes I, some, I sometimes think that this is why you hesitate Committing your life to Jesus Christ. Because you know that you need to be saved. You would certainly admit that to me. You know that you need to be saved. But you hesitate. 
You hesitate because maybe you think that if you begin the Christian life, you won't last. You worry that maybe you'll let people down along the way. Or you'll let the Lord down. Or you'll fail. Or you'll backslide. And, and maybe for that reason you hesitate. Or you keep going on halting between two different opinions. But you know I was speaking to someone this past week. Someone who's in your situation as well. I was speaking to them about their soul. But it was in the context of running the Christian race. And I was emphasizing that it's good to run the Christian race. It's good to run the Christian race. But in order to run the Christian race, the most important part is starting the race. But they thought that the most important part was finishing the race. But no, the most important part, my friend, the most important part is not finishing the race. The most important part is starting the race. Not only because you have to start the race in order to finish it. But when you start the race, and this is the wonder of Christianity, when you start the race... It's Jesus who promises to bring you to the finish line. Not you. He he promises to bring you to the finish line. You won't get there by your own works. You won't get there by your own efforts. You won't get there by your own good works. You won't even have the ability to grow in grace without him. You will only reach the end of the Christian race because you've been kept. But the most important part is to start the race. And that's what Jesus says here. For everyone who starts the Christian race, Jesus prays they will be kept until the finish line. It's a wonderful promise. But you've got to start the race in order to reach the finish line. And Jesus promises that when you start, you will be kept all the way. Every step of the way until the finish line. But when Jesus prays that you'll be kept... And this is so true. He doesn't pray that you'll be kept from trouble. Jesus never said that the Christian life is trouble free. He says that through much tribulation you will enter the kingdom. And so when you're a Christian, Jesus doesn't pray that you'll be kept from illness. He doesn't pray that you'll be kept from loss. He doesn't pray that you'll be kept from family problems. Or kept from financial difficulty. When you're a Christian, Jesus doesn't promise you promotion. He doesn't promise position or even prosperity. But he does promise you that you'll be protected. You will be protected. He promises that you will be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. My friend, when you're a Christian, Jesus doesn't promise that you'll be kept from something. He promises that you'll be kept in something. You'll be kept in the race all the way to the end. You'll be kept in. And you're kept, how? By the prayers of your great high priest, Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what Jesus is praying here. That those who are running the Christian race, those who are Christians united to Jesus Christ by faith, he says, they will be kept. I'm praying for them, he says. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours. Yours are mine. I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but but they're in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. And you know, my friend, what Jesus prays for you, as he goes on in his prayer, 
He prays that you'll be kept from the temptations of the world. And you'll be kept from the temptations of the devil. He says in verse 14, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Jesus prays that you'll be kept from the temptations of the world. And the temptations of the devil. But you know what I find so comforting about Jesus' high priestly prayer? Is that he prays that we will be kept and guarded and none of us will be lost. Jesus prays that we will be kept and guarded and not one of his people will be lost. That's what he says. While I was with them, verse 12, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But you know what's even more comforting on top of that? Knowing that Jesus is praying. He's praying that we'll be kept. He's praying that we'll be kept from temptation from the world. Temptation from the devil. He's praying that we will not be lost. None of us will be lost. But what's even more comforting is that Jesus' prayer for us to be kept. Is the same prayer that the psalmist had. In Psalm 121. As we said before, Psalm 121 is the keeper's psalm. Because throughout the psalm, the psalmist is praying that the Lord would keep him. That's what we saw earlier as we were singing Psalm 121. The psalmist, he's, he's looking beyond the hills of this world. And he's looking to the one who's seated in heaven at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's looking to the one who is the maker of heaven and earth. But more than that, the psalmist affirms that throughout his wilderness journey, the one who keeps us, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He doesn't let our food slide. And why is all that? Because he says, the Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my keeper. I'm not keeping myself, he says. The Lord is my keeper. But more than that, the psalmist assures us of the promise he assures all the Lord's people, all those who trust in Jesus. He assures us of the promise that the Lord will keep. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And you know, that's what Jesus is praying for you. He's praying that you'll be kept. Kept from the temptation of the world. Kept from the temptation of the devil. That you'll be kept throughout your wilderness journey to make sure that you finish the race. That you'll be able to say with the apostle, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You know, I love this language which Jesus and even Psalm 121 is using. This language of keeping and guarding and watching. It's the language of a shepherd. It's a beautiful language. It's shepherd language. That's what a shepherd does for his flock. He keeps them. He guards them. He watches them. And needless to say, that's what the good shepherd does for his flock. Jesus reminds us in John 10. He says, my sheep are purchased. My sheep are protected. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life. They will never perish. 
Why? Because I'm keeping them. They will never be plucked out of my hand. Why? Because I'm keeping them. My friend, Jesus affirms that his flock are purchased. They're protected because they're prayed for. Jesus, the good shepherd, affirms that his flock are purchased and protected because they're prayed for. And as the good shepherd, Jesus is praying that all those who confess with David in Psalm 23, all those who say the Lord is my shepherd, all those who confess that the Lord is their shepherd, they will be assured of the shepherd's goodness and mercy, following them all the days of their life. And that's what Jesus is praying for. Jesus is praying for your safety. He's praying that you'll be kept. And as a Christian, there's no greater comfort to know that in the midst of all that you might be going through, there's no greater comfort than to know that Jesus is keeping you. But more than that, that Jesus is praying for you to be kept. He's praying for you to be kept. What is Jesus doing right now? Jesus, your great high priest in heaven, he's praying for your salvation. He's praying for your safety. And thirdly, he's praying for your sanctification. He's praying for your sanctification. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. You know, isn't it amazing to know that your great high priest, he's not only praying for your salvation and praying for your safety, but he's also praying for your sanctification. Jesus is praying in heaven that you'll be prepared for heaven. Jesus is praying in heaven that you'll be prepared for heaven. Because that's what the purpose of sanctification is. It's to sanctify you. It's to make you more holy. It's to make you fit for heaven. But you know, when we consider sanctification, we must remember that sanctification is twofold. Sanctification is positional and progressive. Sanctification is positional and progressive. Because you could say in positional sanctification, you're saved. You're set apart. You're made holy. You're positioned. And you're positionally sanctified because you've gone from the position of being lost to being saved. From being in Adam to being in Christ. From being children of wrath to children of God. From being hell bound to heaven bound. From being sinner to saint. That's positional sanctification. Your position changes. You're set apart. You're made holy. You're called out. You're a saint. And a saint is literally a holy one. That's positional sanctification. That's what Jesus prays for. But here we see that Jesus is also praying for progressive sanctification. And as someone who has been positionally sanctified, Jesus is praying that you'd be progressively sanctified. Jesus is in heaven praying that you'll be prepared for heaven. That's his longing, that you'll be ready to come home to glory. Is that not what Jesus said to his disciples? I go to prepare a place for you. My friend, Jesus is preparing a place for you in heaven. This world, says the hymn writer, is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Jesus is preparing a place for you in heaven. But the thing is, he's also preparing you 
for heaven. And as you know, sanctification is a process. It's often compared to the refining process in which gold is refined. And the gold is refined by removing all the dross and all the impurities on the metal until the pure element of gold is left. And that's what Jesus is doing with us. That's what he does in sanctification. He removes all the dross, all the impurities of our life which hinder us and make us sinful and make us unholy. And he's gradually and progressively removing all these things so that one day we will be presented faultless before his glory with exceeding joy. But you know, as Jesus prays here, he says the only way to be sanctified is through the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. When Jesus prayed that we must be sanctified through the truth. The truth is not relative truth. The truth is not what we think or what we say. Or what we feel is the truth. The truth is just the absolute truth of God's word. And the absolute truth. It can only be found in God's word. Because it's the absolute truth of God's word that sets before us ethics to live by and an example to follow. Which is why Jesus is praying for us to spend our time investing in the word of God and even imitating the word of God. That's what Jesus prays for. He prays that we would spend our time investing in the word of God and imitating the word of God. But what's more is that Jesus affirms in verse 19 that he too has been set apart in order that we will be sanctified. He says, for their sake I consecrate myself or I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is affirming that his role as great high priest in heaven is to ensure that you're sanctified. His role in heaven He has been set apart by his father to pray that you will be prepared for heaven. That's wonderful. Jesus is praying for your positional sanctification. But he's also praying for the work of your progressive sanctification. That's Jesus. He has been set apart to pray for you. He's praying for your sanctification. And as the catechism reminds us, Your progressive sanctification. It's a work of God's free grace. Whereby you are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. That's what he's praying for. He's praying that you will be enabled more and more to die unto sin. And to live unto righteousness. That's what Jesus is praying for in heaven tonight. That you will be sanctified. My friend as your great high priest Jesus is praying For your sanctification. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for your salvation. He's praying for your safety. He's praying for your sanctification. And lastly. He's praying for your security. He's praying for your security. Look at what he says in verse 24. Father I desire. That they also whom you have given me. May be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What I love about this high priestly prayer of Jesus is that it's complete. 
Because Jesus' prayer for you isn't just that the good work will begin in your life. Jesus' prayer is for you that the good work will be brought on to completion. Do you know what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Philippians? He who begun a good work in you will bring it on to completion. That's his promise. Which is why Jesus is praying. He's praying not only for your salvation and your safety and your sanctification. Jesus is praying for your security. Your eternal security. My Christian friend, Jesus is praying that when your way, when your life is all said and done, he's praying that you will arrive in glory. That's what he's praying for tonight. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying tonight that you will not only see his glory through a glass darkly, but that you will see it face to face. And you know, you can have confidence and assurance tonight that you will arrive in glory. And you can have confidence and assurance because not one of Jesus' prayers have gone unanswered. You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus prayed that the sick would be healed, and they were. Jesus prayed that the dead would be raised, and they were. Jesus prayed that he would be glorified on the cross, and he was. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he did. Jesus prayed for the apostles to be kept, and they were. Jesus prayed that the church would flourish throughout the world, and it has. Every single prayer of Jesus has been answered. And my Christian friend, that will certainly be true of your eternal security. Because Jesus prayed that you would be saved and you have been. Jesus prayed and he's still praying for your safety. And your testimony tonight is, I'm being kept. Jesus is praying for your sanctification and it's progressing. You're not what you once were, but you're not what you one day will be. But by the grace of God, you can say, I am what I am. And Jesus is praying for your eternal security tonight. And he promises you, he will bring you home to glory. I go to prepare a place for you, said Jesus. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know, my friend, there's so much more that could be said about this high priestly prayer in John 17. There's so much I've skimmed over. But I want us to be assured tonight of what Jesus is doing right now. Jesus is praying for you. And I want you to take that home with you this evening. I want you to take home the knowledge and assurance that whatever you may be going through in your life, whatever it is, this Jesus is praying for you right now. This Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying for your salvation. He's praying for your safety. He's praying for your sanctification. And he's praying for your security. What is Jesus doing right now? May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray.
O Lord, we give thanks to thee that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and that we would see him as one who is so personal to us, that he is one who deals with us so graciously and so individually, and yet he deals with us as a people and as a church. But Lord, we pray that we would come to him and that we would pray to him because he's one who is praying for us. Help us always to be assured that even though we may think the world has forsaken us, there is one who promises never to leave and never to forsake. Lord, bless thy word to us, we pray. As Jesus prayed himself, sanctify us through the truth, for thy word is truth. Guide us, Lord, into a week that is before us, that whatever the week may have for us, help us to know that in everything, our great high priest is still praying, praying for his people, praying that we will one day come home to glory. Oh, keep us then, we pray. Keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're going to bring our time to a conclusion by singing the words of Psalm 72. Psalm 72 in the Scottish Psalter, page 314. Psalm 72. We're singing the last three verses. Psalm 72 is the song of Solomon. It was written by Solomon about the greater than Solomon, which would be Jesus. And in these closing verses, we have the benediction of the greater than Solomon. We have the benediction of King Jesus. This is what he promises and what he does to his people. He blesses us. He gives to us his benediction. And that's what we ought to always praise the Lord for. That his name forever, as it says, shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him and blessed. All nations shall him call. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel. For he alone doth wondrous works and glory that excel. And blessed be his glorious name to all eternity. The whole earth let his glory fill. Amen. So let it be. These verses in conclusion to God's praise.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.